0: Welcome to Blind Squirrel Macro the pod. This is your squirrel speaking. I'm recording this on the morning of Tuesday the 10th of October Melbourne time. This podcast is a companion to our weekly newsletter which you can find for free at blindsquirrelmacro.com. The letter contains graphics, charts and a multitude of links that I might refer to in the pod. It also contains our portfolio update and a review of our acorn trade ideas. I've still not yet mastered audio editing software, so I record it in a single take, so please forgive any fumbles. But before we start, a very quick message from Legal as usual. Everything in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is categorically not investment advice. Before making any investment decisions, for heaven's sakes, don't listen to a cartoon rodent. Talk to a financial advisor. Now this week, we're taking a thoughtful and I hope sensitive look at the outlook for energy markets in these troubled geopolitical times. Last week on Friday, I'd half written a letter on my outlook for energy. The process of chewing through data and commentary on last week's dramatic correction in crude oil and gasoline prices was starting to get some interesting initial conclusions. Then like you, I woke up to the news of the tragic and dramatic events that have taken place in the Middle East over the weekend. I pretty much had to start over. I'm going to try and spare you from any hot takes on geopolitics. Frankly, the squirrel has no edge in that department. And frankly, to be honest, neither do many of the so-called experts right now. It feels to me like the situation is, is in Israel still has a long way to go. And frankly, I'm nervous that the fact that nobody saw this coming has to surely mean that nobody has to be, can be truly credible on knowing how it plays out from here. But let's start by turning back the clock with a sober assessment of last week's wild oil price moves and then assess possible outcomes as we look ahead. To be clear, this is categorically not a war analysis podcast. Now, we first set out our medium-term energy thesis in a letter back in July. Back then, we were taking stock of both the voluntary production cuts by the Saudis, so protecting the downside in crude, and also looking at the ability of the Chinese to release their strategic energy reserves to snuff out any unruly upward spike in prices. We concluded that a super spike in oil prices would be unhelpful to both parties, and so probably wouldn't happen. For the Saudis, crazy, crazy spikes simultaneously kill demand and encourage investment in competitive production. For China, the world's major energy importer, the rationale is a lot more obvious. Our thinking was that the most likely outcome would be a stealth rally in crude. We followed up in August with a report titled Locks, looking for a price environment that was not too hot and not too cold. This contained a trade idea targeting a price for Brent crude at a level of about where we were 10 days ago. This was looking like a pretty decent call until the middle of last week. Now, the principal narrative candidate for last week's sharp drop in oil prices was the latest EIA report. This reported a sharp drop-off in implied, note the word implied, demand for gasoline in the U.S., a fall of about 8.7% in terms of demand versus the same period in 2022. It made for a blockbuster of a headline. But you need to dig deeper. It's important to understand that the EIA derives their demand numbers from changes in finished product inventory, such as diesel and gasoline. Last week's build in gasoline inventories was certainly a factual reality, but does not necessarily imply that the famous US driving season had somehow just been cancelled. However, terrific a narrative that might have been for the headline writers. The analysts over at GasBuddy and HFI Research point to an anomaly in the EIA tracking process that does not properly capture actual end-user consumption. It instead reflects wholesale activity by the gas stations themselves. Put differently, it looks as though the gas retailers have been delaying purchases and that this inventory build is likely to be revised down in coming months. In another twist to this narrative, pointed out by Ed Finlay-Richardson of the excellent Misadventures in Shipping blog, is the suggestion that the large gasoline builds could have been created by the recent Saudi production cuts in terms of crude. Now, the alternatives to Saudi Arabian heavy sour crude grades that are currently being refined by the U.S. refiners tend to yield much more gasoline and much less diesel. As ever with energy markets, the real story is always more complex than what first appears. Now, I suspect that the extreme violence of last week's price reaction can probably be attributed to positioning. Now, big narrative shifts have have the biggest impact on stretch positions. When you look at positioning in futures, you can see that over the course of the summer, managed money has moved rapidly from being very underweight in oil to a level much more in line with longer run averages. And this has happened really fast. So your squirrel would rather style this positioning as fresh rather than stretched. To our mind, all that has really happened is a rapid unwind of big bets by the macro funds on the proximity and extent of the next US recession. This is the same cohort of investors that has been accumulating long-dated US Treasury bonds over the course of the year for a similar reason, and to their significant mark-to-market cost, I might add. One of the freshest hands in the energy trade is the trend-following CTA community. Now, the broker community loves to cite the trend followers when hunting for a reason behind a major price move. Regular readers and listeners will know that I prefer prefer to go directly to the source to verify these convenient narratives. When Goldman Sachs is out saying something along the lines of it's safe to blame the CTAs for the move lower in oil yesterday, we have ways of seeing if that is indeed the case. We quickly look at the two trend-following ETFs that we, what we, that we own are up to. And guess what? Neither of them looked like they were dumping oil last week. My take is that the oil price had moved a long way in a very short period of time. This would have no doubt attracted significant additional flows from momentum, from momentum traders. The headlines around gasoline demand destruction that came from that EIA report would have been enough to trigger panic sales by the high-frequency trading machines and caused further panic sellers by the newly arrived holders of crude oil paper. Call it paper hands in the paper market, if you like. So has this very sudden move done enough to cause major technical damage in the oil price? This time yesterday, front month crude was up over 4% in the immediate aftermath of the weekend's events, and I was wondering if it was going to be a classic Sunday night gap that gets faded over the course of the next day. 24 hours on, and WTI futures are still holding up above $86 per barrel. I'm not so sure that everyone's in such a hurry to fade geopolitical premium in energy markets right now. You may wonder why stocks were up on Monday. Now that one's a bit easier. The Fed has basically indicated in their usual manner via speeches from a couple of prominent Fed speakers that they are on hold with respect to further rate hikes. This does not mean that they're ready to start cutting rates yet, so I'm not sure why the stocks are quite so perky. Anyway, back to oil. We think last last week's move was certainly violent. Big moving averages were sliced through like they did not exist. But the price now looks to be holding key retracement zones. Bottom line... I do not think any major technical damage has been done. Sadly, we do now need to do a little bit of geopolitics. When events like those of last weekend take place, social media becomes even more of a cesspit. I try to follow facts via the financial media only, things like the Wall Street Journal website and Bloomberg and Reuters.com. Frankly, even my highly curated, finance-only Twitter feed has been pretty insufferable this weekend. There was, however, one exchange between two of my go-to geopolitics guys, Marco Papic and Jacob Shapiro, and it felt like the right take. On Sunday, Marco offered up this thesis. The Hamas attack has no strategic logic other than to provoke Israel into a response, thus making normalization of relations with Israel politically difficult for many in the region. This scuttles the Sunni-Arab-Israel détente, makes Israel less safe, and favours Iran. Jacob came back immediately and said, You think the Saudis will turn their backs because of this? I think their asking price just went up, but I'm not convinced it scuttled anything if Israel can respond quickly and decisively, A protracted, ugly war in Gaza would make that harder, perhaps. My view is that intelligence failings are easy to judge with hindsight. However, in the past year, a fact pattern has emerged which amounts to a geopolitical cocktail that was ripe for potential exploitation. I don't think you need to be a genius to join the dots that connect the following facts. Number one. The US Strategic Petroleum Reserve is at its lowest lowest level since 1983 and the US has a contentious presidential election next year. Number two. Faced with Saudi production cuts and Russian export cuts, Iranian production has quietly risen to a five-year high as blind eyes have been turned to sanctions enforcement. Number three, notwithstanding the sluggage relative to expectation of the post-COVID reopening of the Chinese economy, China has continued to build its strategic reserves of energy almost like they were preparing for some bad a- bad actor to take advantage of the bigger picture situation. Now, I'm going to leave my tinfoil hat there, as further speculation is frankly not helpful. But what about the implications? There's an obvious temptation to draw parallels from the mass attack on Israel this weekend with the Arab-Israeli conflict of 50 years ago. I suspect that these comparisons are lazy. I won't go into the details, but Javier Blas of Bloomberg had a Sunday piece ad, called For Oil, It's Not 1973 Again, But It Could Still Turn Ugly. It's a very good summary, and I've linked to it in this Monday's letter. I did note that the finance ministers of OPEC were meeting in Riyadh on Sunday. I do not believe they see any upside in a 1970s-style crude oil price spike. OPEC is simply not seeking the radical repricing of oil that it wanted 50 years ago their goal would appear to be a budget-supporting near-to-triple-digit crude oil price without the violent spikes that trigger genuine demand destruction from the global economy. Incidentally, the readout from this meeting is encouraging, citing, and I quote, "...collective and individual production adjustments to support market stability." That sure does not sound like them, them wanting runaway oil prices like 50 years ago. That said... We're probably looking at a period where the direction of energy prices has an upward bias. US inventory levels are running low, and we all know that the only economic data points that have any cut through with the mainstream political narrative in the US are 30 year fixed mortgage rates and gasoline prices at the pump. We can expect plenty of fear inciting bad takes on the US Strategic, strategic Petroleum Reserve in the coming weeks. Yes, crude stocks are low, but again, that subject requires proper nuanced analysis. Bottom line, pumped gasoline prices are unlikely to be sounding political klaxons yet, but do keep an eye on diesel prices. They could create some knock-on inflationary headaches if they do spike. For the time being, our crude locks thesis still stands and stays in place. But if things escalate in the Middle East, we may have to revise this view. And now in wrapping up, I really sincerely hope that I've not caused any offence by broaching a, a topic as callous as crude at such a terrible time. My thoughts are genuinely with all those whose lives have been impacted by the tre- dreadful events of the last few days. Well, that's it for this week on the pod. Um, in the written report, we also have a full Acorn review and portfolio update covering bonds, ags, uranium, gig economy tech stocks, as well as our weekly private equity bashing session. Thanks for listening. Please find out more about The Squirrel at blindsquirrelmacro.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Squirrel Macro. Please leave us a rating and review in your app, and I hope to catch you here again next week. Squirrel out.